This uh, is, I uh, was thinking about it, this is my first uh, sermon in over a month uh, to preach, and it's also my first ever dad sermon. Yeah, I know. Uh, it has been a really long uh, month, and so we just thought it would be fun uh, before we get into it uh, I, to introduce. Can you guys just do a tiny little, sweet little golf clap uh, for my wife and my new baby Grace as they come to the stage? Thank you. Oh, that's so good. You guys are so good. Oh, hi, sweetie. Well, we don't have a lot to say up here except that we wanted to introduce you guys to baby Grace. She has been, um, it has been a long way. <laughs> Is she cute? She's cute. Okay. <laughs> we, cannot, uh, we cannot even tell you what a journey she has been on um, to be here and how many miracles had to take place and line up just right so she could be here and a happy, healthy baby. But we did want to say that we're so grateful for you guys and everybody who, who did things for us, people who prayed for us a thousand prayers. My dad was always saying that, this, that per ounce, this is the most prayed for human being <laughs> of all times. Um, you wouldn't know, but she's six pounds now. To us, she looks like a giant uh, because she was born at four and a half, went down to about four and a quarter. I don't know how much time you've spent holding babies in the four pounds, but it's so small, when, when they bunch, bunch up their legs, I said it feels like you're holding a large gerbil. It's so small, so she's giant now. Um, and we also, we also wanted to say, man, it just got away from us. I didn't even get a chance to say uh, that Dave and Jessica had their baby. Uh, Beckham over there, golf clap, golf clap. Uh, Beckham's over there. It was hilarious because um, Beckham was slated to be, I don't know, four weeks or something like that, uh, older than Grace. Grace came very unexpectedly about five weeks early. And so there was a time when we were thinking and uh, we, were, we were getting all this news. And so I was texting my friends. And so Jessica and David Goldman got together uh, to pray for us and to pray for the safety of uh, baby Grace. And while they were praying, uh, Jess's water broke. And so Grace slid in with an emergency delivery about four, slid out, about four, four hours, four hours earlier. Uh, so you wouldn't know it because Beckham's much larger, but Grace is actually his senior by about four hours. So we're trying to repopulate the church one baby at a time. Um, yeah, but I guess that's, I guess that's it. Um, but we just wanted you to, oh, oh please, so please, uh, of course, you guys will get to meet her after service if you would like. Uh, the request would be this, because she's a preemie, please don't touch her in the face or the hand regions, right? Yes. You could grab her foot or touch the blanketed area. Yes. Okay, that's right. Okay, uh, one more golf clap as they go. Thank you, guys. <laughs> golf clap turned out to be a lot dumber than I was expecting. Um, all right, well, turn, turn with me to Mark chapter four. Um, I am really excited. I've got kind of a simple sermon, um, but it's something that for me has become really real in the last um, month. My title is this, Faith and Fear. Uh, for those of you who don't know, my wife and I have been in the um, adoption process for over two years now. And so it's been a really long um, 
journey for us. And so if you were to just fast forward and just see kind of the cliff notes of it, you would see that we have this happy, healthy baby who's in so many different ways a miracle. But I just wanted to tell you, because this is the group that I tell, I overshare. I almost always overshare in Outlet, if you don't know. Um, But I wanted to let you know that this was, this last month has been the hardest of my life. Like probably times 10. I'd say it's such a weird... um, thing for me to even think about my own life and think of myself as a man of faith and, and how, um, I don't know if you guys have heard that Mike Tyson quote, like everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. Like that was me. Yeah. <laughs> Great quote, huh? I know this is like, you know, you think you, you got the whole faith thing figured out and you understand exactly how all that stuff happens. And then something crazy happens and you realize like how, how much fear can really be existing in you. Um, all along. I don't know if anybody here is into the Enneagram. Does anybody know the Enneagram? Okay, a few of you. So it's this ancient personality test. We're all about it. It's kind of like had this resurgence over the last 10 years or something like that, especially in the Christian community. But basically you can do these tests and learn and they would like assign you one of nine personality types. So you might be the, let's say the perfectionist or you might be the achiever or you might be the individualist or um, the the peacemaker or the challenger. Um, And so for me, I am what is known as a loyalist. And so when I, I didn't have any idea what that was when I first took the test, it is me to a T. Uh, so basically the idea of the loyalist is that we, are, we tend to be the most loyal, but maybe even more than that, we tend to be very aware of, and this isn't good. The Enneagram never makes you feel good about yourself, always bad. Um, but uh, I am very aware of who is and is not loyal to me. That's where the name comes from. And so... Um, one thing that's really interesting about the six, they say that the six is probably more common in, on the planet than any other number, the loyalist. And they say, basically, our, they describe it like this, our holy virtue, they all have a holy virtue, and our holy virtue, that means that's basically where we go when we're healthy, is faith, and our deadly sin, they all have a deadly sin, my deadly sin is fear. And so it kind of gave word to what I have always known about myself, I think, from when I was really young, is that I'm always kind of oscillating on this plane of, like, faith and fear, and I'm kind of always trying to gauge, like, what is dangerous about the world and about my situations and how I can be safe. Um, And I've kind of learned as I've talked to more and more people, even though faith and fear are really real to me especially, I think that's true for a lot of people. I think even if people don't understand that or might not even be aware of that, I think a lot of people spend a lot of time somewhere between being full of faith and being full um, of fear. And for me, I've just learned, especially this last um, month, is that I think I have confused um, for me in my own life something that looked like a life of faith. For me personally, it was really more just like a life of comfort where I didn't like have a big need to have a lot of faith. You know what I mean? Like middle class, like, you know, raised in the Christian family. Like, it was just like, of course I have a lot of faith. Of course I'm a man of faith. And like, I'm a, I'm a professional. You know what I mean? Like, this is disgusting, but I read the Bible and pray as my job. Like, that's what I do. So how could I think in a million years that I wouldn't be someone who's just like a ferocious faith monster But really, I just think in a lot of ways, like I've just lived a life where the things that I had to trust God for were kind of abstract, and so they were never challenged. You know what I'm saying? Like like for a a 20-year-old to like receive Christ and trust him for their eternal salvation, not that hard. 
Because it's not, you're not like, you're not faced with death. You're not afraid of dying. And so it's just like, yeah, because it's not a real thing, you know, but versus, versus there are people in the world that have, they're just in this place where like they have nothing but like to believe God. And so I, I just feel like in a lot of ways, it's been um, revealed to me that there's so many different ways that I haven't been a man of faith. I've just been a man who has lived a really comfortable life. And so I can like hide behind this veneer of spirituality uh, without needing to trust God in a really profound way. Well, that really changed for us about a month ago, of course, when we got this call from, um, uh, from our birth, our foster adopting, adoption coordinator. There's so many different people uh, basically telling us that Lindsay, who is the birth mom, something was wrong in the pregnancy. And so they were rushing her in the ambulance to have an emergency C-section. Of course, she's 35 weeks old. So that's all they know. So pack a bag. So we have no idea if she's going to be okay. Um, Anything. And so we get off the phone and we just start losing our minds, if we're being honest. I mean, we just crying and panicking and calling people and like on the floor. Like we don't even know what we're, what we're doing. Uh, for me, and I could say for Jordan too, I've never felt the terror that I felt that night when I wasn't sure if Grace was going to be okay. And it was just, it was just so scary um, to me. And it seemed like that week, you know, we get this call that, that she's, she's been born. And so hurry up, get over there. She's tiny, but she's breathing and everything, you know? So, so we get on a plane. And so we're out there in California, like, we don't know anybody. We're just, we got on a, on a plane and like we rent a car. We're trying to find like a hotel when we're out there. We just have GPS trying to navigate to this hospital, you know, and we don't even know where to go in the hospital. And so like we go into the NICU, finally after hours of processing and all that, we get to go into the NICU and see this baby that's just the tiniest thing that we've ever seen in our entire lives. And the whole thing was just so terrifying. Um, and uh, really, it felt, like, it felt like for the first couple weeks, if I'm being honest, uh, it just felt like we were, even though there was so much beauty and there was these little things that were great getting to meet Grace for the first time, it just felt like there was kind of like this onslaught of bad news like coming from every single direction because not only did we have um, this precious little baby girl that we were still kind of touch and go with for a while in the NICU, there was also this horrific legal process that was going on at the same time, whether or not we would actually get to keep her. And so, so we would go and we would care for her in the NICU and then we would have to leave and we would have to talk to these lawyers and every turn, twist and turn, there was just like more bad news. And every time our phone rang, it just felt like, gosh, we've got a huge problem. Oh my gosh, disaster. And it was just, it was just this crazy uh, thing. And, and I felt like even the couple weeks after we got back home, I've been telling people that I, it was hard for me to get out of the posture of like what I've been calling bracing for the blow. You know what I mean by that? Like, do you know, like when you're right, right when you're about to get punched, like you suspect you're going to get punched, you know, like you tighten up your whole body. I just felt like I've lived like that for a couple of weeks, you know, that every time my phone rang, it was just kind of scary because I felt like someone was going to call and say, something is, something is wrong or we've got a huge problem. And so it's been this really, really weird process um, for us. That we, Jordan and I were laughing that we were kind of like numb there for a while. And I think you just kind of get in that phase because we would get some bad news and we'd go. And there was this one day when we were thinking that she was going to actually have to go to foster care. And our foster, um, the adoption lady told us that the foster system in San Bernardino is, quote, the devil's playground. And so we were thinking, we were, so, so we were sitting there for like a couple hours. Every time the door in the NICU would open, we were just expecting it to be someone who was going to come and take the baby away. 
and we didn't know when we were going to see it again. And um, so we just felt like numb. So there were times when we would just go eat and we didn't even know, um, like we, we would sit down and we would eat. We knew we were together, right? But we, but we definitely didn't talk. We just sat there in silence. And now, like in hindsight, we can't even remember like what we ate or anything, but we were just trying to um, survive. And anyways, I just think, you know, God is so good. And um, grace is a miracle in a thousand different ways. Um, But I've just been reminding myself, and I think God has kind of been working in me over the last month, that it's just always the case that I think he's gently reminding me. And as I'm kind of going back and doing like a rehash on like, what is the lesson here to learn? I just think that God is starting to tell me that there was no reason for me to be so afraid, which, which is such an easy thing to say until you're the one who gets punched in the face. You, you, know, you know what I mean? And I just think you have to, as a Christian, you just have to learn to believe that God is always working in the background. Even, even like when, even when um, you don't see it and even when you're not doing the right thing. I love the Word of Faith movement one issue that I can tend to have sometimes is I think that we can, we can almost make God look like this, you know, neutral being that if you know the right things to pray and you know that you just have just the perfect faith, then maybe he will move. But if you don't, he's not going to move and he's fine with that. You know, and it's just, it's just such a broken way to look at God. I even think this is an interesting idea, but when you look at the miracles of Jesus, only like one third of them had anything to do with the faith of the recipient. One third. The rest of the time, it was just God being so good and so um, beautiful. But it was just hilarious for me as a preacher that I, was just, I found myself so afraid that like, I, I could not remember what to do. Like It was funny. We were in the NICU, and I could not, I'm not lying, I could not remember one scripture. Like I had none, zero scriptures. Now I'm like, oh yeah, I should have been quoting these scriptures. I should have been praying with my wife. Like none of that was happening. Like I couldn't, I couldn't even do any, we couldn't pray. It was weird. We couldn't pray without just crying. Like we would close our eyes and say, dear God. And it was just like the end of the prayer because we were just so um, broken. But it, I, all that to say, I just found, I feel like in a lot of ways, I've never found myself in life at this place where, where like faith is all I have. You know what I mean? Because there's always just so much support around, you know? But then when you're finally out there in the middle of nowhere and there's just, there's just a time and I, f- I found myself there and I really, I really cherish it because I think it um, is a place where a lot of people find themselves where it's like you have faith or you have nothing. Um, and it's just like there's this crazy storm and you're just trying to deal and you're feeling faith and fear. And of course, this takes us to Mark uh, chapter four. In Mark four, we see Jesus and he's crossing the sea of Galilee. It's a very familiar scripture. Um, We're gonna read beginning in verse 35 and go to uh, 41, end of the chapter. It says this, that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, this is Jesus, let us go to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. So a tremendous storm. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. I love that detail. Uh, The disciples were with him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, be quiet or quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified 
and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. So of course, it's a story that probably most of you guys know ever since you were a kid, if you were raised in the church, but basically the story is this little backstory. Jesus had preached all day long. And so uh, he was exhausted, which oftentimes um, happens. And so the sun was setting. And so they wanted to cross over the Sea of Galilee. They wanted to go by boat. Of course, you can go around it. You can just walk around it, but it would take a lot longer. So Jesus and the 12 disciples, they get into a boat, uh, probably boat, probably owned by maybe like Peter and Andrew, possibly James and John. These were fishermen who were uh, his disciples. And they began to cross um, the Sea of Galilee. This might surprise some of you, but that that might take, wait for it, one hour. That's it. It would just take like about an hour. Like we call it, we call it the Sea of Galilee, but really it's about a, it's pretty much a lake. In fact, we've got a picture. This is the Sea of Galilee. Okay. Uh, so you can see on a clear day, you can see um, you can see all you can see land in every direction. And so it's not this huge place. It's about 12 miles long by eight miles wide. If you ever go on a tour of the Holy Land, of course, you can uh, take a boat ride on it, something I dream of doing someday. But because of the topology around the Sea of Galilee, it was really common for there to be some really horrific uh, storms. And so uh, Jesus goes to sleep. And if you've ever preached all day, you can know that that would be really uh, exhausting. Um, the storm comes uh, and it's frightening. And I think we can forget sometimes that like this is happening at night. So picture, picture like you being um, in a boat. Just imagine how terrifying this would be that you are in a boat and there's this crazy storm and water is pouring into the boat and there's no land for miles anywhere around you. And then you're in the pitch black, you know, because this is before electricity. So it's not like they just had a headlight or something like that. You know what I mean? Or it's not like a, a lamp would do any, any sort of good. So they're in the middle of the night, maybe lit by the moon, and they're pretty much positive that they are going to drown. There's a painting by the 17th century uh, Dutch painter Rembrandt. Some of you guys may know, um, but this is his painting uh, of the situation. This is actually stolen. It's a really famous painting. It was stolen in 1990 uh, out of a museum in Boston. So if you guys see this, pop up, <laughs> call me. Yeah, but uh, I like all the guys. I like the guy on the top, a classic overachiever. And I, I don't know if you guys can see the guy on the bottom. I feel bad for that little cute guy, um, just doing the best he can on the very bottom, obeying the ancient rule, don't puke on the boat. Um, yeah, but I don't know if you've ever, you can see Jesus in the back in the stern being, being woken. I don't know if you've ever had like an, an experience kind of like this. This is, of course, a, a world-renowned analogy for having a great storm in your life where something seems like it's really hard and really challenging. And I don't know if you've ever had the experience of being in something that seems like a storm, and so far as you can tell, it surely just seems like Jesus is asleep. You know what I mean? Like, he's not doing anything. And so, of course, they, they wake Jesus up, and the first thing they say, I love the first thing they say, they say this, don't you care that we're gonna die? Anyone ever prayed that prayer? Like, don't you even care? Like, I've prayed that prayer. Like, don't you even care? Uh, and I think it's interesting that they, they don't exactly ask Jesus for help. You know what I mean? They just, want, they just want Jesus to know that they're about to die. Like, hate for him to miss it. <laughs> yeah, so he's, so he's sleeping. He wakes up. He, he 
you know, breaks into action. He rebukes the wind, and he says to the sea, uh, be still, and suddenly where there was this great storm, there's this great calm. And I think we've heard, of, of course, we've heard the stories um, since we were kids, but like, can you imagine uh, what that would be like? And then Jesus says this statement that is just so unbelievably challenging uh, for me, and he says this, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And I think the thing that, that God has been doing in me kind of over the last year or two, one thing that's really real to me is I really believe this, that faith and fear are like the same thing. Like they're the same kind of thing. You know, I'd say they're, the, they're at opposite ends of the spectrum. So it, on one side, they're kind of like polar opposites, but they're the same kind of thing. What I mean by that is this fear and faith, they're both a way of perceiving the future. They're both a way of like how you deal with what your future would be. Um, fear and faith both come in uh, there. One is relating to God, and the other, you might say, um, exists with the absence of God. Of course, something that somebody told me a long time ago, and I never forgot, was this, that faith is believing that God will come through, and fear is believing that he won't. And so e either way, I would say both faith and fear are a kind of belief in the way that you see the future. You know, I was reading uh, this, this past week, kind of trying to do a little studying, and I was reading what most people are afraid of. And of course, people have like those dumb lists, like spiders and public speaking. I don't think that's like real fear. In fact, I was reading that they say that real fear, like real visceral, visceral fear comes, it's like the same handful of things for everybody. Uh, the fear of dying, the fear of losing a, lo uh, a loved one, the fear of being alone, the fear of rejection, and maybe just most of all, just broadly, like the fear of pain. It's something that just affects um, all of us. And so if you, were to, if you were to identify, let's say, what your major fears are, it's interesting that, that if you would have asked me that like a month ago, I could tell you. <laughs> I'm, I, I, know, I know the things that I'm afraid of. I could tell you. And so I don't know if you can do that, but if you could think in your own life, like what are the things that scare you and not just like in a jumpy way, but what are the things that if, if you wake up at night and you're, you're really troubled for real, like what are those things? If you could just imagine that, I just want you to know that like you've carried those around with you. You carry around those fears day and night and they have not done you one bit of good. Like nothing good ever comes um, of those. And so this is like a super simple sermon, but all I wanna say to you, like as someone who, in a lot of ways, I feel like is still in this journey, but I just want to tell you, like, look, don't be afraid. That's my simple sermon. Don't be afraid. Instead, have faith. You might think, like, I want a more spiritual sermon. Okay, how about this? Jesus said, don't be afraid. <laughs> Instead, have faith. You want a more practical? Okay, don't be scared all the time. Instead, learn to see the future with the eyes of faith. Brian Zond, he's a pastor that I really like. He says this. Um, he says, we live most our lives in memory and imagination. The present moment is hard to find. You know what he's saying by that? That we live most of our lives in our head in the past and most, or in the future. And so we're always remembering. Like, yeah, God, you remember when we had that taco truck? It was so cool. I remember when this happened or when that happened. And you're spending a lot of time in the past remembering. Or maybe you're spending your life imagining things that might happen, uh, daydreaming what might be. Like, God, I wonder what the, wonder what the Broncos are gonna do. Or like, I wonder what's gonna happen. Or I wonder what I'm gonna find my soulmate. 
or just, just spending a lot of time in this place in the future. And what he would say is this, if we're going to be happy, we have to heal memories and have a hopeful imagination. That's so good. We have to heal memories and have a hopeful imagination. If we don't heal broken, painful memories um, of the past, well, we're going to be depressed. And if we don't have a hopeful imagination about the future, well, then we're going to be anxious and stressed out. And really, I, this has just become so real to me that, that fear is an evil imagination. That's what it is. When you're afraid, when I'm afraid of all the things that might happen, you know what I'm doing? I'm just, I'm, I'm using this beautiful thing that God has given me, which is like creativity. And I'm using it to just think of worst case scenarios. And, I, and what's really sick is that a personality like me thinks that I'm doing something good, but really I'm just ruining the present with fear of um, the future. And I think there's a lot of people at the end of their life, they're gonna look back and they're gonna realize that the things that they were worried about never happened. Or maybe, or maybe they did happen and they weren't nearly as bad as you were thinking. And listen, I have been following God my entire life. I've been uh, a preacher for over 10 years, if you can believe it. Oh, thank you. Wow, that's good. I like that. Um, and so... I, I think about this a lot, but I just want to say I really believe, as I've grown in the faith, I believe one of, if not the central messages of the gospel is simply this. Don't be afraid. Four words. Do not be afraid. And that, like, that's the only posture that God has towards us. Don't be afraid. And like throughout the Old Testament, people were scared to death about what God might do or who God is or what he, might, what he might do or what God might not do. And then Jesus comes and finally shows us exactly who God is and has always been. And his message is simply this, don't be afraid. And this is the first thing. First thing, he, he, has these, he has these, oh, that's my sweet grace. Was that cute? Yeah. <laughs> like he has, he has these disciples. He has just, he's just been killed. And so they've locked themselves up in in the upper room, and they're scared. They're scared that now, now people are going to come and kill them. That's the fear. So they've locked the door. Jesus comes through the locked door, and you know what he says? Don't be afraid. And then he says this, and now we're going to have to unlock the door. I'm going to send you out, just like the Father sent me out. But his, over and over and over, the message of Jesus Christ is simply this, don't be afraid. And I, I'm, just, I'm just convinced that for me, when things start to go wrong in my life, it's when I start being motivated by fear. Like, God does not motivate by fear. I should know that. I know not every preacher would agree with that, but it's the truth. God does not motivate by fear. I know fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, all that, like I know that. I believe it's talking more about awe and respect. First John makes it super clear that uh, perfect love casts out fear. I just want you to know, I feel like this is for somebody tonight, is that, Fear is not the right reason to do anything. I see a lot of precious young people scared to death of being alone. And so they just make terrible decisions. And they don't even know that's what they're doing. But it's a decision. They make, they make decisions even on who to date based on fear. I just want you to know that fear is never the right reason to do anything. All decisions made out of fear are the wrong decisions. It's just, 
the truth. And I think what's so amazing, I don't have a lot more, I didn't write you a lot of things down, but what, I think what's so amazing is this, that, that the God who calls us to do some truly terrifying things is also the God who would call us to not be afraid. And it's it just, someone said this to uh, me, I listened to a preacher and he said this a few years ago and I was like, I, I don't know. It was so radical. I think it's so radical that some of you guys might not even believe it. But I, it's just really true for me. I really believe this is that no one in Christ ever has anything to be afraid of. No one in Christ ever has to be afraid of anything. I just believe that's true. Like, if God, look at me, if God is the God of resurrection, then like, what's the worst that could possibly happen? You know what I mean? Like, like what could possibly happen that's worse than death? Right? Like, worst case scenario, you die. Uh, but... But if death, for the Christian, if death is not the final word, then like, what do you possibly have to be afraid of? Like, I really believe this, that with Jesus, when you follow Jesus, it means that there's never any dead ends, that there's, there's never situations where God can't come in and do something beautiful and surprising and creative and hopeful. Like, you're, you're never without an escape. You know what I mean? Like, like you, you've never, you never screw up your life so bad that you have officially freaked God out and he can't come in and help you anymore. Like, there's never a time where God is not, I just love this, God is not scared. Even when you're scared, he's not scared because he's never without resources. You know, he can always come in and do something uh, beautiful. Like, and that's really what God does is he comes and he brings new life to dead things. And just honestly, like, if I'm, if I'm being honest tonight, I, I just want to say that if, if God's doing anything in me, David Eifert, the preacher and as the man and now as the dad, like really um, it's this. I'm, I'm just tired of being so scared all the time. I'm, I'm just convinced that nothing good comes of that. And I, I'm sick to death of like not doing things because of all the ways that it might go wrong. Doesn't mean you don't use wisdom. Doesn't mean, you know, you don't hear from the spirit. But I, I just believe this. He will not motivate you through fear. Like I'm sick of living my life with all of the what ifs, like what might happen and what might not happen. And, you know, like we'll go for it unless we can think of one reason why it might possibly not work out. There's just not, there's just no way to live there. There's no life there. There's no room for the spirit to move if you're always just going to the least common denominator of I'm just going to do whatever's least scary in life. I think, you, I think you're just going to find yourself at the end of your life disappointed that you didn't go for anything really big. You know what I mean? Versus like, versus like doing something and pushing through and like, even, you know, it's like there's a thousand ways that this could go super belly up, but you know what? I'm still going to go for it. And I refuse to be motivated um, by fear. I just, I just don't want to live my life where that's always the, the predominant thought is what might go wrong. And I think there's a lot of people, I think there's a lot of people that don't even realize that that's the way that your brain works. I think people can be pessimistic um, and they might think that that's a personality thing, but I, I really think that sometimes we can have corrupt minds and we don't even realize it. That we don't realize that we're always thinking about the bad things that might happen and how that can stop God from coming in and working in beautiful ways. I think, I think you might be surprised how beautiful and compassionate and um, surprising God can be if you give him the chance if you stop being so motivated uh, by fear. We're gonna close in communion as we always do. But I just, I just, one last encouragement is that when Jesus would come and say this, do not be afraid, it was always right before he would come and do something new. You know what I mean? So like 
he, he would say, don't be afraid, and then he would do something new. That's why he says, don't be afraid. Because I think we are inherently, as human beings, we're afraid of, of like new things. That's true for me. I'm, I'm super afraid of change. So like everything that's unknown, everything that's unsure, is just, is just kind of inherently terrifying. And just understand this, that what God wants to do in this season of your life might be super different than what he did in the previous season of your life. But don't be afraid. Like, I think that's what he wants to say. Don't be afraid. Yeah, there's, there's things that are different. There's things that are scary. Uh, but choose to not be afraid. And so as they pass communion, uh, I want you to just spend a moment in your seats, um, just in quiet contemplation. But I would love for you to ask yourself this question. Uh, in what ways have I allowed myself to be motivated by fear? And in what ways do I need to put my trust back in Jesus? In what ways have I allowed myself to be motivated by fear? And in what ways do I need to put my trust back in Jesus? You guys can go ahead and pass.
just like to read you guys uh, a portion of a psalm. It's one that I had thought of when we were in California that I couldn't remember, but now uh, it means a lot to me. This is just a few different verses from Psalm 46. And it says this, the psalmist says, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. Verse 7, the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Allow me to pray for you. Uh, Father, I pray for my friends in this room. There's so many different stories, so many different places tonight, people who are on the hilltop, people who are in the valley. And what I want to speak over them tonight is this, is that we will not be people who live our life dominated by fear. But we will be people who see with the eyes of faith. We believe that you can do beautiful things. And so we say thank you for that. And we commit to use our imaginations for good, believing that you're going to come through, because you will. And so we say thank you. I really think I'm, I'm speaking over individuals, but I really even think speaking over the community here is that, that as we think about what's next for us, what we think about what's next for this ministry and this church, we just say that we will not be afraid, but we'll trust you. And we'll just find our way back to this simplicity like a little child. Just a simple trust and believing that you're watching out for us, even when we can't see it. Again, we say thank you and we love you. And so, so Father, we would come again to the table. And Jesus, we say that we are here because of you and that we are all undeserving, but all welcome. And so we would come to your table to eat and we say thank you for the free gift of grace your free gift of mercy to each and every one of us. And so we say thank you. And so Jesus, tonight we remember your death, we proclaim your resurrection, and we await your return. We remember your death, we proclaim your resurrection.